Welcome to PHP Town Hall episode number 13, live from Williamsburg, New York. And wherever the fuck Ben is. Yeah. Portland, Oregon today. And Portland, Oregon. The two main hipster capitals of the The two hipster cap- capitals of the world are together tonight. But we're not here to talk about people wearing plaid shirts and we wearing glasses, even yeah. though I'm wearing a plaid shirt myself and I'm going to go see the opposition tomorrow to get some glasses. Uh, we're, here, <laughs> we're here to talk about... We're here to talk about PHP um, and some things, uh, some things, and some things recently. web development related, and some recent things. And yeah. welcome to PHP Town Hall number thirteen. Best introduction we've done. So uh, I guess the current, the first thing to throw out there before Hold we on. get on. To can the we? Question. Can we just hire Zach just to do our intros? He could be like our announcer. Uh, I'm pretty sure if I just give him a beer, I do it every time. He's not. He's not too expensive. Yeah. Oh, I'll do it for a beer. <laughs> Uh, so the first thing is, how do y'all feel about the whole uh, Hebrew token situation? The the, the crazy. The, the, my blog post that was meant to highlight how people in PHP internals often end up with ridiculous trolling. Um, ended up just being trolled to to absolute death because people like trolling. Anybody spot this shit happening? Oh yeah, uh, well I think your blog post was a good example, but of course all the shit that Anthony Thorero went through was also a good example. It's just, it, it kind of, I guess it comes from Rasmus in a way, in my opinion, but his attitude is pretty much, you know, let's just keep it stupid simple, let's keep it old because it works, and that seems to reflect in a lot of the people that decided to contribute to the core. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at a lot of the contributions coming in from, from developers recently, there's been there's been like the use functions, and the, uh, which we talked about on the last episode, and there's been, there's been a lot of useful RFCs coming in, but it's just a shame when you look back through the thread, and whenever you look at, you, you take pretty much any thread where someone is recommending a feature or, or trying to talk about a new change, and the reaction is always, and, and you have to wonder how much of that is, is useful. Uh, so the, the, the opinions that have come back are, on one hand, that people are afraid of change, they hate change, and it's really bad for PHP because no one wants to change anything. And on the other hand, it's uh, it's really good that people, that, that the veterans that are there, that have been there for a long time, that know the way things work, are there to guard the way that things work from people that just want syntactic sugar and change for the sake of it and like um, idealism bullshit, right? How which side Ben do you fall on that of like? People, people, when people react to change, how much of it do you feel is really, this is for the best that we don't change anything, and how much of it is just like, I don't like the idea of having to do anything or support anything because change is bad? I think it's a little of both. You know, most people, their default is not liking change. But I think most of us, especially, you know, in engineering environments, understand that change is necessary and change is good. So it's really about just finding that balance. Um, I think there's a lot of both. So a lot of the people on the core team really feel that too much change is a bad thing for PHP. <laughs> you know, they see uh, you know they see Ruby, they see Rails, and they hate all the magic. And I think they're really worried that's going to come to PHP. I'm not saying I agree, but I think that's uh, where a lot of that comes from. Yeah, a lot of it does seem to be like we don't want any of your progress around here, and it's just kind of a just kind of keeping things. Keeping things unchanged for no apparent reason. Do you, yeah. either of you uh, follow along or, or have paid any attention recently to the uh, 
like like things that happen on like the kernel, like the Linux kernel development and like the way that Linus acts. I saw some of the shit about how the RD RAM generator might be a backdoor for the NSA, but I haven't seen a huge amount else. And and, and things other than that, like the way that he's like very much like uh, BDFO. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that I couldn't put the letters together in my you head. Could say right, being is that we had the shots. But you probably could say ASO. Yeah, you but. could say ASO. Yeah, the BDFL are those little letters. Yeah, the brain dead fearless leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So something, something. <laughs> Not brain dead. Well, no. Well, like, no, sorry, I'm thinking of uh, something else. But um, but I was thinking, like, dictator. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, sorry, I was thinking of BDU, the brain dead uh, user. Yeah, that's a uh, different thing. But now dictator, dictator for life. Yeah, yeah. sorry. And. Uh, it's interesting that I think if and I haven't done this, but and really I haven't really paid attention to internals, and I haven't really paid attention to kernel development. But you sort of I, I think in these weird like massive open source projects, you can start to draw some parallels between uh, a maintainer like Rasmus and a maintainer like Linus that like deal with hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of people using the software. And, and and spearheading it and leading it. Yeah. You know, and, and there's there's certain things that you're just gonna be like, look, fuck you, I'm doing it this way. Drop it, which maybe is the uh, double colon thing, or maybe it's the, I don't, I don't know what kind of situations Linus is doing, but you know, what, what, do, you, what do you guys feel about that? And like those sort of, yeah. like, like, do you see like, and, and no offense of course to, uh, to Linus for comparing PHP to the Linux kernel, but, you know, do you, do you draw like any sort of? Parallel? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, there's a big difference, of course, in that Rasmus doesn't assert the BDFL title or role, but you can definitely see that he is a leader just by default for being the you know the author. Um, something like DHH would probably be a better example with Rails. You know, he has no problem being an asshole and saying no and pushing his vision. Um, but that's kind of how we discussed before, you know, what, 10 episodes ago. PHP doesn't have that strong vision, and so that makes things even harder, because you do have both of these sides pushing against each other. Where if you had the BDFL, you could just say, you know, fuck you, leave if you don't like it. Yeah, well, there is a few differences between people like DHH and, uh, and the way that PHP works. I mean, with DHH, it's like, uh, this is the way I like to do shit. So that's how the entire Rails and, and, and a lot of the Ruby community is going to do it. Because I've said, this is how it is. We're just going to do that shit. And, and that kind of, that's pretty cool that a large community of people have one true way of doing stuff. But in the PHP world, there is no correct way of doing stuff. Um, we're a, a, the PHP world is a, a multi-paradigm uh, uh, language where you can, you can be as functional as you like or as object-oriented as you like or you can do all sorts of shit. And, and that's kind of it's kind of one of the, the most redeeming factors and one of its largest pains in the ass. That like it's because it's multi-paradigm, uh, there's there's no clear direction in which it's gonna go. They're not gonna make scalar types objects necessarily straight away because that pisses off the functional users, but then all the UP users are pissed off with the fact they have to use random functions all the time that don't necessarily have any sort of consistency to them and all of that sort of stuff. So there's the whole one true vision that the BDFL gives versus like the random mix match of shit that we have right now. And the other the other issue we have in the PHP community is that not, not only is there not necessarily a BDFL, but you suggested that uh, Rasmus kind of asserted that title. He, he really, he, he doesn't. He doesn't claim that for himself and other people don't even apply that to him. Typically the BDFL title is not 
condoned by the person who becomes that. Well, I understand that, but right. what I was about to say was people, I was in ISE today after whilst getting feedback for my fucking, I'm annoyed with this Hebrew double colon tag post. And uh, someone said, well, the, the leader of PHP is, is a Hebrew speaker. And I was like, oh, Rasmus, he's not. And they went, no, no, they mean Zeev Saraski. I'm like, oh, I thought Rasmus was that guy. So a lot of the PHP community is kind of assuming that Rasmus is that leader, even if he doesn't um, pretend or act like it is, he is. But uh, a large other part of the community assert the leadership titles to other people. So there's actually a few kind of leadership struggle. There's not a leadership struggle going on because none of them want that title. But there are several people that other people have put on the pedestal of being the leader that maybe are or are not. Okay. I, Did I just get drunk and blather? No, you didn't, I mean, you didn't. You didn't. I, 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 I can buy that. I, this entire time, honestly, all I can think about is how you're comparing DHH to someone who's maintaining a programming language. I was comparing right. DHH to Linus, but that's anything further comparison. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, okay, let's get back to the asshole portion, because that's fun. I can't blame some of these guys. I mean... They might have started out as nice, happy people, but I know by like my 30th email of the week from some guy that barely speaks English, just saying, hey, can you do my job for me? Yeah. I'm getting rather rude with my open source replies by that point. And so those, oh, guys, yeah. those guys probably hit 30 emails. I can by, get it. You know, Monday even, at 9 a.m. Even with three emails a month to my OAuth 2 package that says, why don't you support Twitter? And I say, because Twitter doesn't support OAuth 2. Uh, the first one, in a month, I might be polite about it. The second one, I'm getting a little bit short. The third one, I just say, fuck yourself, right? Like, I can imagine how it's hard to be, to be happy and polite all the time if you are dealing with a large number of people. But then still, some of, your, some of the public statements that are made by these people are just downright cunty. There's no hiding about that. Uh, yeah, this is the exact reason why companies larger than one person have PR people, right? Right. Because... Someone has to deal with the goddamn engineers so that we don't have to, <laughs> right? Just like, well, it, it, open source is hard because all the people that are completely interested in dealing with open source and like people that really, really want to do open source stuff are in a weird position because they really love what they're doing. But if their project becomes popular, they've got all these other people just all over the place. And I feel like it's really easy to fall into that, you know, fuck all of you. This is too hard. Like sort of mentality. Yeah. And I think, right. especially like for Rasmus, um, that comes out a bit and the Rasmus type people in internals is, you know, Hey, I've been doing this since the PHP one days. And now, you know, these kids are coming along trying to make it into Ruby and I can definitely see the pushback there. You know, PHP is supposed to be a simple, dumbass scripting language in his eyes. Hey, hey Phil, Phil's sitting back down next to me here. I pretend. He's returned from picking his bicycle up from the thief that lives a block away. Uh, albeit. Did you get another bicycle stolen? No, 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 no. no. It's actually making a reference to when I had my bike stolen from his apartment. It wasn't my fault you left it unchained. It, uh, it definitely was. You said you should leave it. <laughs> you, you said, don't worry about chaining it up. You should just leave it there. So It I was did. a once-in-a-lifetime type of situation. <laughs> that's um, what's in most people's lifetimes in Phil, it's like every week. That's, that's why he only owes me $500 once. Yeah. Ben, what are you working on these days? 
(laughs) (laughs) So uh, we covered a little bit two episodes ago. Recently made a job change back to the I'm a few weeks behind on my podcasts. See, that's going to be a requirement for future guests. You have to at least be called up. But uh, I do my best. I made a recent move back to my old company, and so I'm doing uh, insurance and medical software again. Nice. But uh, mostly JavaScript, PHP. On the side, I like Ruby. Um, that's most of it these days. What about you guys? What about you, Zach? You're uh, working for the amazing SeatGeek, which, by the way, I found out that Alt-J, it's a band, is coming to Portland. Like the day before, like the next day when I found out. They're sold out everywhere. Go on SeatGeek. $100 later, I'm going to the concert. So yes, good work. There you go. There you go. Thanks, Ben. That's, uh, SeatGeek is pretty good at finding cheap tickets. That's how me and Zach ended up at the uh, Justin Bieber concert that's down the road in Brooklyn. Yep. So, that's how we ended up at Bieber. He's so excited about it, the entire situation. He's wearing the t-shirt right now. I'm, I'm wearing my Justin Bieber t-shirt. I'm pretty upset that we're not on video. We're going to have to sort that out for next episode. I can wear the shirt again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, as you just said, and as and I assume everyone knows, I, I work at SeatGeek, you know, where it's search engine for concerts and sport tickets, and much like, you know, Kayak is for hotel rooms, we are for tickets. That's what I'm doing right now. Which actually brings us on very nicely to a question that was uh, put in on the user voice on our website. Um, nobody else seems to Hold know. On, wait, wait. We have a user voice? Yes, well, I was just about to say that no one else realizes that we have a I user didn't voice. know we had a user voice. Holy shit. God damn it. I put it on there about, I don't know, six months ago. <laughs> also, if you go on the website, there's a user voice, and you can post your suggestions for topics, right? That's so um, some, some uh, guy, uh, I've forgotten his name, popped on there and left four, uh, four suggestions of conversations. Uh, one of the suggestions was uh, to have service-orientated architecture covered. On the episode. Now, he recommended uh, somebody who he thought would be really good, but um, instead we've just got Zach. So <laughs> he's, been doing, <laughs> he's been doing a lot of service-oriented architecture at work anyway, and he'd actually been talking to me about wanting to come onto the show to do an episode about that. So, you know, things crossed, and now, now we're here. So, Zach, what service-oriented architecture shit have you been doing at CD? So most of SeatGeek's architecture is service-oriented. Service the uh, the main app itself is a very small, thin PHP layer uh, in, in a uh, legacy, we'll say, version of Symfony. And basically, all this layer does is make various like HTTP requests or REST requests out to different services that we've written in various different languages. So service-based architecture gives you several advantages as if one of your services becomes unavailable for a certain amount of time. 90% of your site is going to work correctly, but your autocompleter doesn't work for a search. Or 90% of the site works, except for you can't perfectly draw these map tiles like we draw. Um, But it basically breaks every single abstraction that you can out, even beyond the language layer, into a separate web service layer. So if you feel like you can abstract something, you can probably abstract it to the point of a web request. So we do a whole lot of that, and we take a whole lot of uh, uh, business logic outside of the PHP app and move it into different apps that we run independent of each other. 
So me and Zach were talking about this earlier, and uh, and he explained all that, and I said, I said that sounds pretty awesome. That's essentially um, instead of like in your PHP application, you have a Google Maps library that then you call a few methods, and it inputs a few tiles. Uh, instead of doing that, you have you you make a HTTP request to a different a different endpoint that does all of that work for you and then gives you back the answer. So instead of directly calling a PHP library, for example, you make a HTTP request to a different type of, uh, to, a, to a different app, which then returns the result for you. And it can be written in any language. It's kind of like background jobs, but a little bit different. And it can be written in anything you like. It could have like 10 different processes hiding behind it, or it could be on a, brand, a completely different server, and it just returns you the result. And, and that's, that's some pretty handy shit. Kind of, it, it makes it less. It makes it less uh, important for you to pick the exact right program language to do everything in, because you can just like every single question you have, you can have it answered by a different language. Yeah, we've actually uh, since I went back to Mindforward, we've been slowly moving towards the same, and so you know it starts out with basic APIs to our main things we do. Um, one question for you, Zach, is how do you guys sure. handle the limitations of you know waiting for HTTP response to come back you know waiting for that the time it takes to send the request and wait for it to come back yeah so it definitely depends on the service and it definitely depends on exactly what you know what we're calling like for example you may or not be aware of a uh, of an of a six pack which is a library we just released open source for a B testing good plug, good um, plug. yeah I, you know I'll do my best at this um, <laughs> we, you know, you, you make a request to Sixpack. Sixpack has to give you response. This is all blocking. It's a web request, right? The the second part of Sixpack, where you record a conversion, which is someone buys your product, someone does X when you, you know, give them Y. That sort of thing can be backgrounded and delayed until later. A lot of the uh, services that we write, we use like Tornado or other non-blocking Python frameworks. So we can basically shove off a bunch of requests to a service that doesn't really care about when the response comes back. And then when the response comes back, processes that. Um, there's definitely a, co like a cost of a service-based architecture, which is response time. Setting client timeouts is super important in that. You know, like if we're waiting for something to happen, we should give it a 100 millisecond timeout and then just give up at that point if it doesn't get finished. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we've been uh, working on kind of backgrounding a lot of things. And once you really get into it, you might have to refactor some, but you'd be surprised how much you can background. So right now, you know, most people listening are probably sending an email, per se, when a form gets submitted. You don't have to block your request to do that. You just background that task and you don't have to worry about it in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the example I usually give, and I can't remember if I gave it on uh, on on this show before, but when I started working for Capture, the uh, before we went live, the the jerk that um, wrote the very first version of the API had everything happening in line. So you'd you'd take a photograph. Um, imagine us as being kind of Instagram plus Foursquare for a few different reasons, and um, and you'd kind of check into a place with your photograph. It would try to make the upload, uh, the upload to the servers, and uh, it would basically, because it was trying to resize a like 
seven or eight megabyte um, PNG file over what could potentially be a very bad internet connection. You know, if you've got like a 0.1 meg connection, you're gonna be waiting there for a very long time for that file to upload. And it's a very large file. So once we get the file, we have to resize it into three different sizes. We have to upload it to, a, um, to S3 three different times because it's three different file sizes. And then we have to finally respond saying, yeah, we got it. And in, in, te in the worst conditions, that could take a minute, two minutes, you know, it'd be terrible. Whereas what it should really do is uh, give a much smaller file like we've done now and, and just say, as soon as we've got the file, say, thanks, cool, we'll work on that, buddy. And, and then get on, with it, get on with doing something useful. Just like respond saying, yeah, cool, we got it. And then in the background, some, some Python workers then start chunking away at the image and uploading it and doing whatever they can. Um, but this, this, this service-orientated architecture stuff is a little bit more useful than just background jobs because with a lot of the background job systems, they kind of say like, you give it to us, don't you worry about it, son, we'll get on with this in our own time and then you kind of carry on with your day without worrying about it. What the, what the service-oriented or architecture is, is instead of giving you like a PHP library API, it's just like a REST, REST API, and it's exactly the same. You're still calling, you're still calling a method with, uh, with arguments, and it just happens to, instead of being in the language you're currently using, it just so happens to be a, a REST API instead. It's the same thing, API, you know, they're both the same thing. And it, and, it, and it will do it while you're waiting or it'll do it background and it just sort of does some random work for you, um, which yeah. is pretty handy. And just to help people picture this, if you don't know what this is, so let's say you had something that you do you know, in three different systems and they have to do the same thing. So let's do something simple like... Apply um, a filter to an image. Yeah, so let's apply a filter to an image. You do this in three separate places. So let's say you have, you know, this... API that your mobile app uses, you have the web app, and then um, maybe you're crazy and you have this desktop app, I don't know what the hell the third thing is. And so you need to do the same exact thing in three different places. Right now you might have the same code in three places. With a service-oriented architecture, you write an API to do this, and now everywhere that you need to do that, you just call that API. And you don't have to worry about you know, maintaining three different sets of code, you don't have to worry about you know one bug in one place having you know a vastly different outcome than in your other places. It makes it a lot easier to scale out once you get to a certain size. It's a lot like just having like to really simplify it, just having multiple third-party APIs, except for you wrote all of them. Perfect. Yeah. You know, like I can't simplify it any further. Yeah, it's exactly a, what it is. Like you have all these third third-party APIs you interact with, except for you wrote the third-party APIs, and they're your APIs, so they're first-party. Yeah, and so I've worked on some applications which were like kind of ages ago. It's like someone make a YouTube clone, we'll do this, that, and the other. And um, and one of the one of the main APIs we use was Zencoder. So we'd have this PHP uh, application that's on the on on the. The PHP application was the general website. It was a social networking website. You could go on there and show you your friends and their videos, and you could sign in and register and all that shit. Um, but what we didn't want to have to do was have to install FFmpeg and all that crazy stuff on that front end server because then if we have if we have to load balance it, then we have like five front end servers, and installing that software on five different servers doesn't necessarily make any sense. Why why are they all doing the same job? That's a little bit silly. So instead of us having to 
try and work out how to make uh, an API that would just be the video encoding API because I was 17 I didn't care. We ended up using a, um, a Zencoder.com which just does all that stuff for you. No, they are not a sponsor and they are not paying us. I just reference them for free because I'm nice. And uh, yeah, we just we, we throw off the information to them. They'd give us a webhook when they when they were finished with it and say, right, we're done. The benefit of service oriented uh, service oriented architecture is that you're doing that exact same type of thing, but you're doing it yourself. So you're not paying for stuff. There's no like you don't have to rely on third party companies being down or changing their their IP addresses or random shit like that. Like you're still handling everything in house, but you're getting all of the benefits of 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 having these third party APIs happen, but you run them. Another benefit too that a lot of people don't realize is that means you can have completely different, you know, departments or developers, depending on your size, work on separate parts of the app completely independently. So you don't have right. to jump in and out of repos with other people and other teams and worry, you know, to you know, somebody touch your code and why is it broken now. But it gives you completely separated concerns. And so right. like you said earlier, that means you can have four different languages going on and it not be a problem. Yeah, I mean you hire like the best programmer in the world or the best programmer that you could find and he fucking hates PHP or or Python or whatever it is that the rest of your team use and he will only ever write any code that he does in BrainFuck and that's literally the only language he will ever use. If he manages to write a completely successful uh, service using whatever his language of choice is and it exposes a perfectly functional REST API, you don't care because it works. But yeah, I feel, I feel like we covered, uh, you know, service-orientated architecture fairly well and the yeah, fact I that we, we me and Zach can both say that after God knows how many Lagunitas is pretty impressive. It's been, a, it's been at least five. It's been a couple. Uh, uh, what was our third point of topic? We discovered the Hebrew token bullshit. We covered, we covered service-orientated architecture, which is another point. The other there. one was, uh, had something to do with uh, programming languages listed on your resume CV. Mm. Mm. What were you telling me at the bar earlier? You were saying that you don't like it when people list I am specifically uh, so this is this is this is uh, one of my I, I planned for this to be one of my first uh, you know blog posts as I've decided I'm going to start doing this but uh, I, I haven't really thought it all the way through but the basic idea is that I find it frustrating when people uh, developers such as ourselves box us into I'm a oh, I'm a code igniter developer yeah. or I'm an expression <laughs> yeah. engine developer. Or Laravel developer, or or, or even PHP, and, and get boxed into uh, like a certain language. When it it turns out that the constructs in most like interpreted languages are almost exactly the same. It's just a little bit of the syntax that we have to get used to. Mm. And I think that there's a, a lot of really smart people potentially losing out on a lot of money and a lot of you know well being because they've put on their CV that they're really good at code igniter, but Fuel is a bit too difficult. Yeah, and it goes it goes beyond frameworks as well. It's yeah, like, uh, yeah, whenever I see people, language, language. Yeah, and you all the time you see people like I'm really good at PHP, but I don't know how Python works, or like I'm really good at Ruby, but I've never touched whatever in my life. And it, huh? it's it's stupid. It's uh, because it's all the same shit. Yeah, like fun. if you look at if you look at PHP and Python and Ruby, they are the same thing. I can program any of them uh, perfectly fine. It's they're all the same thing with like. 
They some, definitely all have their own some, idioms and their own best practices and yeah. their own like certain like they have their own approaches. They have their own gems. They have their own like best practices. They have their own um, like uh, Ruby and Python are both underscore everything. PHP is now nah, we can use camel case, camel case and underscores because why the fuck not? But you have they all they're all essentially the same thing with varying levels of syntactic sugar. And anyone that can code one of them can can, can easily code the other relatively easily. Um, especially if you're a Python developer, you could easily code Ruby and Ruby going to Python the other way. If you're a PHP developer, going to the other two languages is hard because you try and use arrays for everything, and then you realize that in other languages you have lists and dictionaries, and it gets a bit tricky. But once you get past that difference, again, it's pretty fucking simple. Yeah, it's um, just you know you can pick up. You you should every competent developer that I know that has boxed box themselves into a language, I know for a fact could do just as well in whatever language they box themselves into in any other language. Right. You get told, okay, now you have to learn Objective-C, you can, that, that's a potentially slightly harder thing, because you not only... You got your pointers to count. <laughs> yeah, that's, but you, you can still do the actual language itself, it's just about learning the extra tools and the, and the, the ways sure. of doing things, and like, oh, and I have Xcode to deal with, and the Apple developer platform, but the, the point is, you can still code in essentially anything, and it's just a case of learning the extra tools, which can usually be done fairly quickly. And you see this a lot. It's not just on CVs, I find. It's like whenever I look at someone's Twitter profile and they say, I'm a Laravel developer, I just don't ever follow them. No, I'm like, why, would no you, why would you just be a Laravel developer? I don't, 2004. You make websites. You should probably just, you know, make websites, bro. <laughs> Actually, it's good timing. I went on a little Twitter rant about this like a week ago. I just, uh, there's some drama going on. I don't remember what it was. And I was just... Was it my fault? It was probably your fault. It was usually your fault. Somehow. But like Somehow. My Twitter feed was just full of this kind of language versus language bullshit or something like that. I really don't oh, even yeah. remember what it was. But I was just completely... It just sent me over the edge. So it's, no one works out what, what language is factually the best yet. I thought that was... <laughs> yeah, it just... It's so pointless. It's... Use Dude, PHP, I, I, I never, I never got around to making my... Um, do you know Top Trumps? Have you ever heard of Top Trumps? Yeah, the card stuff. I've got a, the card game. Yeah, I've got a set, and I'll show you exactly. Um, and it's like you have uh, the one I've got is Marvel superheroes, and you've got Batman, and he's got like that. Uh, there are always like four or five different things that you get points in that are like between one and ten or one and five, uh, and you get like uh, the you know cars, and it's like Porsche acceleration four, top speed three, hand handleability five. And then, like, you pull that card against a Ferrari, and it's got something else, and a Lamborghini, and it's got something else. And the whole point of the game is that there is no single winner. It's only when you compare them against something else, you pick that one factor. So you, you pick your Porsche card against your uh, Lamborghini card, and then it's got, like, weight is really low. But, you know, but the Lamborghini would have won on top speed, but you because you've picked the weight card, you've won that round. But the next time they come head-to-head it might win another time, right? And the whole idea of Top Trumps is that there is no fucking winner. You play that game until someone gets bored and leaves or someone kills the other player. And, uh, and that, I really wanted to make programming, uh, programming language Top Trumps. I went, I went pretty far with doing it. Like, uh, I put out a survey and got people to put in points and stuff, and I got a designer to do it, and it never quite happened. But the whole point is there is no winning language. Like, any language can do A better than B, but then uh, the other language can probably do C better than F. And, and it's... It pisses me off that people still try and make this whole, like, the reason Python's better than Erlang is... Oh, 
Shut up. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. And that's even why the the trouble in PHP gets on my nerves because it's like we're not yeah. trying to make PHP into Ruby. We're trying to make PHP into a more modern language. It's not. It's not just Ruby that has these these ideas in it. You know, it's it's been around for probably twenty years. Most anything right. that we could throw at it. Well, it. I laughed my ass off the other day when um, it was about a month ago, and uh, I was talking about migrations in Laravel, and someone said they're a big Ruby guy that I know follows me, and uh, and he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Migrations in PHP? That sounds like a Ruby concept to me." And I said, "Hang on a minute." When you say migrations in Ruby, you're talking about Rails. Rails didn't invent migrations. They've been around for about 20 years. And I'll have you know that Laravel isn't the first one to invent migrations in a PHP framework because I personally put them into CodeIgniter and Fuel PHP. So you're talking out of your ass. And he's like, I didn't know any of that. I apologize. <laughs> it's, uh, so yeah, true. it's well, crazy. We start in this little bubble with one language and then some people just assume that that was the beginning of programming time, I guess. I don't know. Right. For the same reason that people think that Node.js is the first, uh, the first framework or language, whatever, ever to have managed asynchronous <laughs> requests. You know? Exactly. Asynchronous programming was not possible until Node.js happened. Can't be blocking, bro. No blocking. Once no you blocking. start blocking, you're, you're completely fucked. Well, it's not web scared if you start blocking. That's the problem. <laughs> Good stuff. So I'm gonna just make a like a, a practical recommendation. So I'm not saying that everyone yeah. should completely take off PHP from their resume or from their profile or anything like that. Oh, you can yeah. you can put it you can put it on your list of expertise. Exactly. You, if you want to so, put it on for, for, yeah. like languages you're good at, put you know list of languages and so list you're of you're interrupting. I apologize, Ben. L list it. <laughs> I just wanted to make, before you start at the point, I want to make sure, list it on your skills, but don't lead into that with, like, your definition, right? Like, you're not a PHP programmer, you're a programmer that knows PHP. Exactly. So, like, my, it's a marketing thing, too, which a lot of people don't get. So, like, my Twitter leads off, you know, developer specializing in PHP with a focus on CodeIgniter and Laravel or whatever the bullshit is. But it's basically saying, you know, somebody searches for, Current Marvel, you know, maybe they'll come across my profile because that's what I'm involved in, you know, but I, nowhere do I either claim to only be a Marvel developer. And so people should take that same kind of attitude. So promote yourself through what you want to do. So on your CV, you know, say, you know, I do PHP, but you don't list yourself as a PHP developer. You know, I've been in, uh, I don't know, like five years ago, I was in a job. I was doing VB and then, uh, PHP project came around, so then I started doing PHP. Then a Python project came around, so I started doing Python. And at no point was I like, oh no, I can't do that. I'm a you know a PHP developer or a .NET developer. You know, you're a developer. It's a programming language. You can figure it out. Oh yeah, no, uh, it's very programmers definitely should not avoid jobs based on the descriptions. But what I what I think I see happening more is that Programmers are not getting picked up because of their CV listings. So quite often you see people say, like, I'm a PHP developer. And then some of the – I've literally had people tell me that they've been, like, kicked out of an interview or, like, shut down because they've described themselves as a PHP developer. If they were to have described themselves with uh, as a web developer 
who has a lot of experience with PHP but has also dabbled with Python or other languages, they probably would have been okay. But because they said, I'm a PHP developer, some stupid douchebag of a, of a tech guy has just said like, oh, well, thank you very much, blah, blah, blah. blah. Now that's, that, that's just because they don't know what they're talking about. But it's another example of how you don't know walking into what job interview, what uh, prejudices the lead engineer or CTO is going to have against the language that you happen to have spent most of your time working with. So even if you are amazingly good at Scala or Erlang or Haskell or fucking Fortran or whatever it is that you know really well, you could easily apply yourself to something else after like 20 minutes worth of looking at a video on Google. So if you, if you lead in there saying like, I'm only good at this one thing, and they say we have an opinion against this one thing, then you're fucked from the offset, and that doesn't help anyone. Another thing to add to that, if you are actually only good at this one thing, get off your ass and learn something else. Because even if you only do PHP for the next 10 years, learning Python or learning Ruby is going to help you in more ways that you know, because you're going to learn different patterns and different ideas, different ways of working with things that you never would have considered if you just stayed in your same rut of PHP every day. And it makes you more marketable, makes you more hireable. So in that case, you can actually put Ruby on your resume if you do Ruby on the side. It doesn't have to be your day job for you to spend time in it and learn it. Which I think it makes us all traitors to this podcast, and we should all just uh, quit immediately. <laughs> We're going to be shut down um, by the yeah. authorities. Right. And I think both Capture and, uh, and SeatGeek do the exact same thing, where... Um, People are always trying to find the one true language, you know, in the same way they're always, oh, trying, to, they're always trying to find, hang on, I'll get to my point in a sec. They're always trying to, people are always trying to find, developers are always trying to find the one best language or the one best IDE or the one best fucking anything, uh, the one best terminal client, you know, like, oh, should we use Bash or ZSE or Fish? People always want to try and find, try and find the one best thing ever, and it gets a little bit silly. Um, but both SeatGeek and, and Capture both have like the, a very thin PHP layer uh, wrapped around a whole bunch of other stuff that's happening. And I'm still always very happy to use PHP for most of this layer because the largest part of our, of our of Capture's code base is PHP. Uh, we use Laravel for a lot of it. We've got a very nicely built API using, using the League of Extraordinary Packages, uh, OAuth server, and it works really fucking well. And because I know PHP the best, I can literally code that stuff in my sleep. I've done that before. Um, it's very easy to write a whole bunch of stuff. And then whenever you have something mission critical that needs to handle like lots of requests or lots of processes or, or has that crunch really large data or do some stuff with images, knowing Python or knowing other languages that are good at doing that specific part is incredibly powerful to you. So whenever I see these people on Reddit, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you're still using PHP. You should use Python for everything ever. I'm like, no, dude, you're definitely doing it wrong. <laughs> like if you, if you use one language for everything you ever do, you're definitely doing it wrong. So knowing multiple languages is helpful. I'm very happy to write a large amount of stuff in PHP um, because most of it is just like input-output with a little bit of process. And sometimes that process is a PHP, sometimes that process is a different language. But if you're using service-orientated architecture and you know different languages and you know what you're fucking doing and you know when to use a certain language for a certain thing, if you know when Java might be appropriate, if you know when Go might be doing a, a pretty good job at what you want to do, you're going to have a much better time than just randomly trying to force everything into PHP somehow, or like randomly recoding all of your code bases from language A, language B, language C, language D, just because, oh look, now language F looks cool, let's go and recode everything to that, you're just going to have a really bad time. 
So don't get me started on people that recode to a new framework because they just found it. Uh, who was that? Uh, well, there's this Phil guy that uh, learned about Laravel, and he recoded yeah. Pyro CMS. Laravel. <laughs> nah, just fucking with you. But yeah, I mean, people <laughs> yeah, take well, no, this a step further. I've, I've, so had, that, I've had that example used against me in the past. <laughs> it doesn't stay just at languages either, which is even more <laughs> I'm, frustrating. I'm, I'm an edge case, but... Uh... People go from, you know, this language is best to even this framework is best. So they won't either learn more than the one framework in the one language. So, you yeah. know, take this further, people. You know, you don't need to just learn one framework either because there's plenty of good ones out there. Bad. Board. I was watching a video. Yeah, fair, <laughs> enough. fair enough. Just pretend you get. Oh. One of the... Um... One of the one of the funniest tweets. Have you been following PHP drama? I don't know who PHP no, drama is. If anyone can get me information on who is running this, I will fucking be so happy. Um, but he is uh, he is very funny, and he he definitely follows me because I get referred to a lot. PHP drama on Twitter, great fun. But I spotted one of his tweets, which happened uh, eighteen days ago, and it says, "You reviewed your options, did some research, and still chose Codeniter." The nice men in white coats who would like a word with you. <laughs> like, oh, damn. Yeah, if you really want a slightly PHP 5.1 version of a PHP 4-style framework, then it's definitely still available for download. But um, otherwise, you should probably use, you know, something else. Have you not been following PHP drama? No, I haven't. It's pretty awesome. Oh, nice. Is this you? No. Is this like a troll, Phil? <laughs> no, because he, he genuinely makes me laugh, and uh, and the, I've seen a lot of these things happen. Uh, it, PHP Drama started... He used to retweet a lot of your blog posts. He does. PHP Drama happened after I said, oh my god, there's a PHP Drama that happened, and it's nothing to do with me. And it was somebody said something about something, and oh, it was Taylor Oil got himself into hot waters after giving some, like, Oh, that sounds terrible response to something he didn't care about. And the whole world exploded in there. Like, oh my god, I can't believe he said that this thing is bad. And Taylor was like, I don't, I don't understand what, what's going on. Ah, you've all overreacted. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that was hilarious to me. Did you see that? He's the nicest guy. We've all met Taylor. We've Whoa. all met Taylor Rockwell. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, for anyone that doesn't know, is the, the developer of Laravel 4. We've all met him multiple times. I've met him a couple of times. And, and he's a really fucking nice guy. Like, I've chatted to him every day um, on Skype for months or whatever. And uh, and he's really, he hasn't got, like, a, a an aggressive bone in his body. And what happened with this original PHP drama, which started off the PHP drama account somehow, was uh, somebody gave a talk at San Diego PHP. Um, they clearly don't seem to be a very experienced uh, speaker because what happened was they had a few questions that they couldn't answer. And when you have questions that you can't answer, you say, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that, but if you come and talk to me afterwards, I'll be happy to try and work it out with you. Or uh, give me your email address, I'll let you know. Or just say, straight up, you have no idea, whatever. You just, you just say you don't know. And it's a little bit embarrassing, but, you know, big people can do that. So what this, de what this developer uh, did was instead of just accepting the fact that he didn't know some answers... He decided to go and talk to Taylor Rockwell on a private messenger, on instant messenger, um, complain about the group and call them hecklers because they were asking questions at the end. Uh, then Taylor Rockwell was like, oh, no, that sounds terrible. Just like uh, Ben, if you were talking to me and be like, oh, my girlfriend or wife just left me, I'd be like, fuck that bitch. 
doesn't mean I think she's a bad person. I don't know who she is, but yeah. like literally the, it's a, the responses, it's a private the conversation. Response, you react totally different. Right. It's, it's a, a private conversation. conversation. And it, his, his responses were like, oh, that sounds terrible. <sighs> ah, well, it must be a bad user group. Just like flippant, don't care. Like this is just not meaning anything. He doesn't know anything about it. He doesn't even probably know the guy who's talking to him. He's just like, oh, that sounds terrible. Ah, what a bunch of losers. Like nothing intentional happened there whatsoever. Right. And he's just saying that. So this guy is like, oh, good. The, tr- the high and mighty Taylor all agrees. These guys are all terrible people. My ego is maintained, but only, only if I take these screenshots and put them on their IRC channel. So if I go to the San Diego PHP IRC channel and put these screenshots on there and say, hey, fuck you guys. You were wrong. This is what Taylor thinks of you. You will suck. Ha ha ha. My ego is maintained. And then that caused the world to explode. Obviously, the uh, the people that run the San Diego PHP user group saw that eventually, and they were upset because somebody who is a notable figure in the community was calling, was was saying bad things about their user group. Now that I understand, and unfortunately, they didn't understand the context it was in, and they decided to both write massive blog posts about the situation, which helped nothing. And then, and then every single person that you know that's ever written PHP in their life decided to start tweeting and calling Taylor an asshole, calling them an asshole. Everyone called everyone an asshole. PHP drama ensued. Five people died. A school bus full of kittens exploded. It, grumpy, was, it was ridiculous. Grumpy and programmer and Taylor had like grumpy this Mexican programmer. standoff thing going they on. Had, yeah, and I was DMing both of them being like, both of <laughs> you need to calm the fuck down. <laughs> It was so stupid, and, and it was because of that, and I saw that happening, and I was like, yay, a PHP drama that I didn't start is happening, woo! And then PHP drama, the actual Twitter profile happened, and now it's a thing. <laughs> but it's Good fun. times. That is the internet in a nutshell. Scumbag internet. Scum, yeah. The benefit I see of happening is that it's going to be a policing tactic. When people start being idiots about some conference doesn't have enough multicultural people or whatever it is that people always complain about on the internet about these big drama situations, you know. That's a clear reference to to Ruby problems that happen all the time. Whenever the next whatever it is that someone thinks is the next big thing starts to happen, which isn't a thing, but is accused of being a thing, someone's just going to go, shut up, PHP drama and mention them in a hashtag or, a, or an at symbol, oh. and instantly they're going to go, oh, yeah, no, you're right, I'm just being a dickhead, I'm just making a big deal out of nothing. And I really feel like that that existing is, is like a clear known thing. The fact that PHP drama exists now, people are going people are gonna to use that as a, as a moderating tactic. So if someone starts saying, like, oh, I can't believe that somebody, somebody, so-and-so, something, something, problems... It, they're just going to get like, oh, don't make a PHP drama rabbit. And instantly they're going to go, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. And shut up. So it really sounds like this is your your good guy deed for the month is creating PHP drama. No, I didn't create it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wish I created it. I wish I was as funny as this guy. I don't know who it is. I feel like it might be Lee Tengham, who's the guy who's on next month, uh, next week. Um, but it, I don't know if it is. Anyone it that, might be. Anyone that can give me three... Guess ten bucks. I don't know, fifty bucks. <laughs> I say they meet us at that bar we were just at, and I'll pay for their drinks all night. Ah, uh, that works. It's a good bar. Uh. So yeah, um, 
basically to wrap this up, if you're an asshole in PHP and you're gonna get called out by a PHP drama, uh, if you are a PHP developer who thinks they're pretty good at their job and want a new job, call yourself a web developer because no one cares what your personal preference is and you're a programmer so you can probably do anything. And uh, if you're trying to build a website, build it in whatever language you think you're most proficient at and then if you need to do something else and you discover there's a really cool Ruby gem, don't recode your whole freaking application to Ruby just because of it. Just make a really, really, really simple Sinatra uh, uh, API. Yeah. yeah, make a little web service out of it that says, all right, when I call this, you should make that, return it to me, now I've got the result. So not everything has to be in the same language. We can all, we can all make our stuff and get along here. Um, and uh, obviously, we also, we also love Hebrew-speaking people. We just don't necessarily feel like we need to keep this one token in the PHP language because that's silly. Um, and on that note, thank you very much for stopping by. And uh, we will be talking to you in, uh, in a week or two's time with Lee Tengham discussing shipping shit really quick. So uh, thank you very much, guys. Thanks, everyone.